Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Hey, today we're going to start a new series. It's going to be a little different for us called Flip the Script. Somebody say, Flip the Script. Now, here's my goal with this series. What we want, want to accomplish in this series is that we want to do some teaching. We, we want to shed some light on, on some things scripturally. Um, but then I also want it to have hope with it too. And so at the end of, of each one of these, these messages, I, I hope and pray that we can bring a message of hope and that someone here, that your life can be changed through that. If not all of us, if all of us can be changed through that. And so stay with me. Um, there's going to be some, some times when it might feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little deep here. But I want you to stay with me because it, all of this serves a purpose as we learn to flip the script. Amen? I said amen. amen. Now you stay with me. We'll get through this, okay? Hey, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever been watching a movie or a TV show and you find yourself all caught up in your emotions? Like women, you, you readily admit to this. Men, we, we don't like to admit to it at all. But men, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you have to keep your eyes open because if you blink, the tears are gonna run down your face so you're just watching it like this and hoping that nobody looks at you. It's, it tends to happen around my house uh, where we're watching shows because we watch some emotional shows. I mean, like, you know, I, I just, you can judge me later if you want to. You judge me now, I don't care. You're gonna feel really bad after the sermon though. But um, we watch like, you know, This Is Us, million little things, and, and there's always somebody that's sitting on the couches that, that's just getting emotional, and, and it, it's tough. And you know, it happens. We, it, you know, men, for us, it's like, it's more of the true life stories that tend to get us, like Rudy for Pastor Andrew. He admitted that just a few weeks ago as he was preaching. Rudy causes him to tear up, you know. So at my house, I, I've, I've been abandoned. It, it, it used to be, you know, two on two. But now I'm the only guy left at my house. Since Caleb got married and abandoned me, I'm the only guy. I mean, I'm, I'm the one, one male in the house with, with three females, my wife, my daughter, and my dog. My dog, Cece, is, is a girl, and I'm just outnumbered. Oh, she acts like a girl, too. But, um, boy, that didn't go over, did it? <laughs> Let's pray. And, and, and sometimes I, I have to remind the people sitting in my house, my wife and my daughter, that, that it, it was in the script. Because that is the best way for you to fight tears whenever it is a fictional character or circumstance. I have found the best way to fight those emotions is, is just to remind yourself it's in the script. It's in the script, and, 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 and when you force yourself to remember that whoever wrote the script is emotionally trying to get an emotional response from you, you're less likely to become emotional. So I often, I look at my wife and my daughter, and I remind them, it's in the script. And let's be honest, with certain movies and TV shows, you can just see it coming a mile away. You know it's going to happen. In first century Palestine... There's no easy transition from there to there. I just, it just is what it is. First century Palestine, there was a way of Jewish life that was based upon the law of Moses. First century, 
the time of Christ. It's just what they knew. They, they knew the law of Moses. Understand, there was no Old Testament. There was no New Testament. There were no Bibles. There was the law, the history, and the prophets. And all of these were kept in scrolls. And, and as kids, they had to study this. But they were living in our New Testament. What we refer to as our New Testament, they were living in that moment and, and, and giving us those scriptures as they walked them out. But there was this script for living based upon the teachings of the law and the history of Israel and the writings of the prophets. There, there, was, there was a script that was recorded in scrolls that now we know as the Old Testament. And until Jesus showed up, no one had ever dared to veer away from the script. The script was what it was. It, 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 it was the way it was done. It's the way we do it. It's the way it shall be done. And that's the famous last words of a dying church, right? We've, we've never done it that way before. That's, that's what always happens. You want to watch a church die? You, you let that become their mantra. We've never done it that way before. And therefore, they start resisting any type of change. And, 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 and so Israel... They found themselves, up until that moment, it was modus operandi. It was their MO. It, it was, the law was the way that they did things, and no one dared to question that. That is, until Jesus showed up. Oh, there was this guy, like, right around the time of Christ, right before he suddenly came onto the scene. There was this guy that wore camel hair and he ate locusts and lived out in the wilderness. His name was John the Baptist. He was actually the cousin of Jesus. And uh, he was just this weird, strange character. But he was a little vague with, with what he was saying. Um, he, he kept declaring, you know, that, that he was the forerunner and that the one that comes after him is the one that you're really looking for. And so he, he, he was just strange. He was just weird saying some off-the-wall things that nobody could understand. But Jesus shows up, and he began to, to change the way people thought about things. Right after Jesus began his earthly ministry, he sat down on this hillside on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Mandy and I have been on this hillside, the hill where they think that this, this took place. And... and and as he sat down, he began to teach. And at first, it was, it was just his disciples around him. The Bible says that he sat down, called his disciples around him. And, and so it's just him and the, and the 12 guys. And he begins to teach. And as he's teaching, this is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. As he's teaching, more people begin to gather around. By the time he finishes this, this teaching, this sermon... The Bible says that there was a, a large crowd, a great multitude that had gathered around him. And you have to ask yourself, why? 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 I mean, no, nobody just, like, if I'm standing on a hillside somewhere, you're just not going to show up and just hear me preach. What was it? Why was this so important? Why did people, why were they attracted to Jesus? Why, why was this happening? And, and I think the answer to that is because for the first time, it was life-giving. You see, everything about the law and the way that they presented the law, everything about it, it, it just felt like op oppressive. There was nothing life-giving about it. And the way that the rabbis would teach the law, it, 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 just, it just felt so dark and, and, and so 
so far out of reach. Like, like we're never going to be able to, to live up to that. People began listening to what Jesus, his popularity started growing at this moment because what he was saying was life-giving. This was different. This rabbi's yoke was different than all the other rabbis. The way that he interpreted the scripture, it was different than all the other rabbis. And so he, he looks at them, he says, listen, my, my yoke is easy. You, 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 you need to hear there, there's, there's, there's something that, that they're missing as they interpret the scriptures and I want to share with you my interpretation. And so Jesus begins sharing with them his yoke. And with every word that he would speak, their way of thinking was being challenged because this is not the way that it was done. This is not what they were used to. And, and what was once certain and established was now uncertain and not established. Six different times on that hillside, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you have heard that it was said. Six different times he said, you have heard that it was said. And this is interesting, the, the phrasing that, that, that he uses there, because just one chapter earlier, Matthew chapter 4, as he is fasting and praying in the wilderness, right before he started his ministry, he, he counters every temptation that Satan throws at him with this phrase, it is written. So one chapter earlier, he's saying it is written. Now he's saying, you have heard that it was said, referring to what was written. When Jesus was tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way by turning stones into bread, Matthew 4 and 4, he refers to Deuteronomy 8 and 3 and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he was tempted to manipulate God to do his will by jumping from the pinnacle of the temple and commanding his angels to catch him, he responded to Satan in Matthew 4 and 7, and he uses Deuteronomy 6 and 16, he uses the law, and he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When he was tempted to do the right thing, but at the wrong time, using the wrong methods, by bowing down and worshiping Satan in exchange for power and kingdoms, in Matthew 4 and 10, he refers to Deuteronomy 6 and 13 and says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And it seems that when he is facing temptations, he was quick to use the law to his, to his advantage. In Matthew 4, with every temptation, he refers back to the law, to Deuteronomy, and, 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 and he uses those scriptures to his advantage. But now, one chapter later, he flips the script six times, and he says, you have heard that it was said, and he follows with, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, you've heard this, but now I'm telling you this. And he's flipping the script. Say flip the script. He's flipping the script, and, and it appears to me, just personal observation here, it appears to me that when it comes to my personal temptations and spiritual attacks, the law is there to reveal my struggle and help me to overcome some of those shortcomings. To, to help me realize 
that I don't have all the power I thought that I have, that I don't have it all together. And that's the purpose of the law is it reveals where we're not righteous, where we're not holy. It reveals our shortcomings as they compare to a holy God. But when it comes to to dealing with others, Jesus flips the script. You've heard it this way, but now I want to show you something different. This is how it's always been, but here's a new way of thinking. Over the next few weeks, I want to help you see how Jesus flipped the script on a few individuals and and their lives, where the law said one thing, but Jesus said something else, and today we're going to begin with a very popular story out of the Bible, the woman that was caught in adultery. I'm going to be reading today from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. If, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, or a digital device, you can turn or open that and find it there. If, if you don't have a Bible, you don't want to open your phone, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along. John chapter 8, I'm going to start reading at verse 2. Remember now, Jesus is popular, people are listening, there's a new way of, of thinking, a new way of teaching and interpreting the scriptures, and so people are gathering around. John chapter 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Have you ever known someone that has no problem with hurting someone just to prove a point? You ever met anybody like that? Like, they don't care what comes out of their mouth. They just want to prove their argument. They want to prove their point. And so they have no regard for life, they have no regard for people, for their feelings, and, and I mean, if, if, you, if you don't know anyone like that, let me just tell you this, politicians do this all the time. They do. Your favorite politician does this. They stand on their agendas, and most of them can care less on who or how many lives suffer because of it. Now, let, let me kind of preface everything that I'm about to say with this. If you know me, you know me. I'm a very conservative Christian. That's my worldview. If, if, if you wonder where I stand, that's where I'm at. I, I, I'm very careful most of the time on what I take to the pulpit, but I need you to understand I am a conservative Christian. There's gonna be some things that I say today that's going to stretch you a little bit. I need you to know where I'm at But I also want you to understand that we have been getting this thing wrong. 
Not just the world, but as Christians, we've been getting this wrong. And we've got to do better. Human nature. We can point fingers at politicians all we want to, but it's just human nature. We've all got this agenda, a script, if you will, on how we want things to go. We see life through a certain lens, and if we are not careful, we will hurt people that don't line up perfectly with our agenda. If they don't line up with our worldview, we don't care what we post and how they take it. If they don't line up with our faith values, we will just express whatever we want to say, and if it comes across hurtful and painful, then we just do it and we just throw it out there. And there's, there's no respect for anyone. And, 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 and we, we just have this tendency as humans, if you don't raise your kids the way that I raise my kids, then, then you're just wrong and you're, you're an idiot of a parent. And we just kind of say it. We, 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 we put it in text and we put it on social media and we, 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 we're just we're relentless that way. Because as humans, we've got this script of how we want life to look and how we think life should, should, should be accomplished and, and how everyone else should line up with that. And this has happened in the name of, of politics in some cases, but not all, it's happened in the name of social justice. More times than I care to admit, it has happened even in the name of religion. On this particular day, these scribes and Pharisees, the religious pious, were trying to trap Jesus somewhere between gentleness and righteousness. It was a trap. It was a snare. They want to trap Jesus somewhere between mercy and justice. Because if they can catch him with one slip up, one mistake, then his influence over these followers that are listening to a new way of teaching, a new yoke, if, if they can just get him to mess up, then he will lose influence over those people. The law cited strict ramifications to those caught committing adultery. They knew this, and they knew that Jesus knew this as a rabbi. Deuteronomy 5 and 18 is part of our Ten Commandments. You must not commit adultery. They knew that it said that. Leviticus 20 and 10, they knew that there were consequences for it. If a man commits adultery and with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. So the answer was very clear. This woman has been caught in adultery, and therefore she must be put to death. And so they've got their rocks in their hands, and they're just questioning Jesus. And, and, and to be honest, they, they can care less about this woman. They, they can care less whether she lives or dies. That's of no real value to them. They just wanted to catch Jesus in a catch-22 and cause him to lose influence over his followers. They wanted to create accusations against him because he was a threat to the way things have always been done. Because that's what messes people up. We like the comforts of this is the way it's always been. Think about it. How many churches have we, we watched just become destroyed because they want to do something a little bit different. Leadership wants to do something a little bit different. Not here. 
But man, we've watched it happen. Some of you have been a part of churches before that, that somebody wanted to change the way that they did something. And, and listen, I've taught this for years, and, and, and I can convince you of it. I'm sure I can. Years ago, we, we used to go down to the creek and, with our buckets, and we'd have to get the water and bring it back to our house. Then we figured out that we could dig trenches to get the water to us. Then we figured out there's water underneath us, so we can drill down and we can put a pail down there and bring it back up. Then we figured out how to have indoor plumbing. How many of you are thankful for indoor plumbing? Say amen. You're going to say amen with me on this sermon one way or another. If you're thankful for indoor plumbing, say amen. amen. It's living water. The delivery method may change, but it's still the same water. It's still the same gospel. We may become innovative with how we share it and how we present it, but it will always be the same living water. It will always be the same gospel. But man, people get upset because this is the way we've always done it. And anytime that is threatened, people will, will, will be up in arms. They want to fight about it. They, and that's what happens in this moment. teachers of the law, these Pharisees. They're upset because Jesus is he's shaking it up. That's not the way that we do things. He flips the script and, and his response to them is what's, what's pretty amazing to me because he keeps the demands of both justice and mercy. And his response to them, he doesn't answer with Yes, we should stone her, or no, we should not stone her. He doesn't give them that answer. That's what they're wanting. That's the trap that they've set for him. But he doesn't answer that way. What Jesus says in his infinite wisdom is one of the most amazing responses because in his response, justice and mercy both can come, but, but it's not what they want to hear because he puts the demands back on the accusers. When he says, let him, who was without sin, cast the first stone at her. He kneels down and he writes in the dirt. Now you've heard it preached. Preachers have preached this for, for, for years. Some people tend to think that he started writing out the names of all the men that she had slept with. And as they saw their name in the sand, they just dropped their rock and turned around and walked off. Now that's flipping the script, right? I mean, that's dramatic right there. That's good TV, right? Flip the script. But it was probably something as simple as this. We don't know. The Bible doesn't make us privy to that. But, but here's a, we, we know that he kneels down and he begins to write. And as he's writing, one by one they begin to walk off. And, and it could have been something as simple as, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not have any graven images. What if he just knelt down and just began to write out the Ten Commandments and as he got to the one that they broke, they were all like, ooh, well, I'm not without sin. They drop their rock and they turn around and walk off. Whatever it was, it caused all of those men to turn around and leave. And Jesus looks at her and says, where where are your accusers? 
People love to judge, don't they? People love to judge. And in that one comment that Jesus said, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. In that one moment, in that one comment, Jesus argues that the sinner has to be judged, but not by the hands of a sinner. Man, do you know how much hope that gives me for my life? That my life will be judged. One day I will stand before a holy God. I will be judged. But thank God that it's not at the hands of a sinner. Because I know my life. I know what I've got right. I know what I've gotten wrong. It's none of your business. But I know where I've messed up. And man, I don't want it in your hands. I want it in the hands of a holy, righteous judge. People judge. It's like second nature. It's just, it's just part of who we are. People judge. Some of you know you've been judged. We've all been judged. But some people have just made it their mission in life to learn everybody else's secrets and indiscretions. It's just like it's, it's a spiritual gift in their eyes. Like, like I just need to know the gossip. And the smaller the town, the more they want to know. They just like to judge. Some of you are feeling that conviction right now. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not condemning you. It's conviction. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in you right now. And, and why? Why do we like judging? Why is it? I mean, it's just, it's just part of, of us. And if we don't fight against it, it will take over us. Why? Because it, it's, it's comfortable not in the shade, it's comfortable throwing shade. Because when we throw shade, it takes the spotlight off of us. When we're pointing the finger at somebody else, then nobody's, at least this is what we think, nobody's looking at me. My dad used to say, when you point the finger, there's three other fingers pointing right back at you. So that's why we do it. That's why we judge. Get, get the attention off of me. I don't have to look and deal with my own indiscretions whenever I'm pointing the finger and bringing the, what, what's going on in their life to the surface. And we look down our noses at people who have made poor choices and we judge them sometimes in the name of religiosity. But who appointed us as a judge? Find that Go old, go new, the blank page in between the two. I don't care. Find it. Who appointed you as judge? Who made it okay for us to look at others with contempt? Who gave us that authority? Because it certainly wasn't Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, listen to what he says. Judge not that you be not judged. I mean, I could leave it right there. That, that's enough. But, but he didn't stop. He kept explaining it. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment, oh, this gets heavy. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it, use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? In other words, how can you say, let me help you? 
when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He said, deal with your own junk first. Before you think you have the right to judge anybody, judge not or you will be judged. And, and, and Jesus warned that when we do judge, we're going to be held by the same standards, judged by the same judgment that we have exercised over someone else. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He said, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. In other, in, in other words, church, it's easier to talk about everyone else's problems rather than dealing with your own. Verse 2, and we know that God in his justice, this is where it, it, this, this is it. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to understand. That God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? He tells us this. He says, first of all, it's not your job. There is a righteous God that is going to figure all of this out. Thank God for that. Because I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I realize I don't want to be the judge because there's people, including me, that's dealing with some stuff. None of us are perfect. We are very imperfect people. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more like Christ. But until that day that we go to glory, we will never fully be perfected. But, but listen, listen, listen. He said there is a perfect God, a righteous judge. And his job is going to be to sort all of that out. You may think you have it figured out. You may think you know what the sentence should be. But that's his job, the righteous judge. And then, and then he says these words to us. He says his kindness, his loving kindness, it leads us to repentance. God's loving kindness leads us to repentance. Where did we go wrong? It's his loving kindness that leads to repentance. Kindness. Kindness. I am very conservative. Don't mistake that. But there are some issues that the church has completely removed the loving kindness part. And all we've done is look down our noses and judge and judge and judge. And we're forgetting the part that loving kindness leads to repentance. And we're missing this. We're missing it. And I'm wondering if the day that we have to stand before a righteous judge, if we're going to have to answer for this. But we're doing it all in the name of a script. This is what I think life should look like. And if you don't follow this script and you don't have my worldview and you don't think like I think and raise your kids like I think, and if, if you don't do this, then I'm going to judge you. And he says nothing about that in his word. It's not your right. It's not your responsibility. Flipping the script. 
If you're without sin, you cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped the rocks and they walked off. The happiest people I know, they look at others through a lens of grace and they cover them with private prayer. Listen, you don't have to put a stamp of approval on someone's lifestyle to still be kind to them. You don't have to agree with them politically to express loving kindness to them. Stop following the agenda, the script that Washington is trying to put in our heads. happiest people I know they look through this lens of grace and they'll commit to pray for people privately instead of blasting them publicly because that works right the meanest people I know they constantly look down on others and they take on the role of righteous judge I'm telling you some of these people are Christians by name They take on the role of righteous judge as if God empowered them to be that critical. I think the greatest lesson we can learn from, from this biblical account is that the only one that was qualified to pick up a rock and throw it at her didn't even pick up a rock. Why? because he's a righteous judge and he deals with it differently you see God he doesn't need our permission on how he reigns rules and judges we think that we've got this thing figured out because of our agenda our script this is going to mess some of you up right here if you'll think it through you'll save yourself some embarrassment if you'll think it through, you won't have to answer to God for what you're about to think or say about me after I say this. I have a script on what I think life should look like. Sometimes in expressing loving kindness, it, it, it doesn't fall within that and, and, and it, it, it's hard. But some of the things, some of the sins that, that, that I think are going to send people to hell. God, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Because hell is very real. It's not some fairy tale. It's an eternal punishment. And there's some things that because of grace and loving kindness and, and, and God's love in my heart, I just don't want to be right on. Because if I am, then there's people who will be damned to eternal punishment. None of us should wish that, want that on anyone. 
us should want that. We shouldn't boast in our holiness and our righteousness that we've got something figured out. No, it comes with a mission. Found people find people. It's our mandate. It's the Great Commission. You shouldn't want anyone to have to experience hell. Yeah. I've got some strong convictions, and man, I hope and pray that I'm wrong. I do. I'm not saying I am, but man, I just hope I'm wrong. Because I know his heart. And he loved the world so much that he gave his son. Where did we go wrong? When Jesus showed up in first century Palestine and he flipped that script, and he looked at a bunch of religious leaders and he said, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. My father is a righteous judge. He'll figure this out. You're not without sin. Go home. I want to close this very intentionally. Something God laid on my heart this week as, as I was preparing for this message. I know that you're here. I know you are. And it's people who have been hurt at the hands of religion. You've been hurt by a church. You've been hurt by Christian friends. You've been hurt by a pastor. You've been hurt in the name of religion. I know what that feels like. I just didn't give up on the church. But I know what it feels like to be hurt by the hands of the ones that should be expressing the most loving kindness. For some of you, it, it was something that you did. Some people would look at you and say, you brought it on yourself. But instead of restoring you and helping you, they looked down their noses at you and they talked about you. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you were hurt. I'm sorry that people that you thought loved you wounded you. And then there's others that you didn't do anything wrong. It was done against you. But they sided against you anyway. And when you needed someone to come and carry you and lift you up, they abandoned you and they left you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. I'm so sorry. I promise you that this is not the place that's going to do that to you. We're not going to do that to you. And I understand that you're here today and for some of you, you're a little gun shy and, and, and you've just been hurt at the hands of a church. Church people. 
And God wants you to know that he has not stopped chasing after you. That even when you swore off church and church attendance, and I'll never be a part of another group of people like that, even when you made those comments, it didn't offend God to where he would stop loving you. He said, I'll come after you. And he's been with you and he's been chasing after you and he's brought you to this moment because he wants you to know how much he loves you. you so much that he shared this message with you today because he just loves you and we're sorry that you were hurt the way that you were hurt nothing justifies it those people were not righteous judges as a matter of fact they are not without sin just like you, they need grace. And we just pray that somehow in the middle of all that, they'll find it. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.